As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, Dr. Tim Jordan back here with another episode of Raising Daughters. I really appreciate you stopping by to listen in every week, to get, getting some thoughts, some ideas, some awarenesses about girls, the world girls are living in, what they're experiencing, and how to support them as their parents. I'm a developmental and behavioral pediatrician, and I work with girls in lots of different ways. I, I do some counseling in my office practice, girls grade school, middle school, high school, and college age women. Mostly, I would say, the, I'd probably say three-fourths are probably middle school and high school with all kinds of issues, some anxiety or depression or problems with their friends, dating relationship issues, problems with their parents, the kind of normal ups and downs, challenges that, they, that girls today are facing. When I was trying to decide what I wanted to talk about today, I thought I would talk about some of the common mistakes that I see parents who have daughters making. And I started out with three or four, and that, that grew to five, and then it grew to six and seven, and eventually I ended up having 10, 10 common mistakes I think parents of girls make. And I could have gone on, and it's not because I'm negative, it was because I think there are some things sometimes we, we aren't aware of in our busyness that sometimes can distract us from being the kind of parent we want to be. So let's jump into, into this here, some of the common mistakes I see parents making with their daughters. The first one is that parents don't really listen. Girls tell me all the time that their parents do a lot of interrupting, uh, judging them, and jumping right to the fix-it kind of stuff, fixing things instead of just listening, just getting in their daughter's shoes and trying to see things from their point of view and, and trying to empathize. Or one of the things I hear a lot with girls is they'll go to their mom with emotions, especially. And they'll be upset about a friend or something. They'll be upset with something their mom is doing or not doing. And then their mom kind of turns it around so it becomes about them. The moms will start talking about, well, well what about me? I've got a lot of stress in my life, too. And look what this is going on in my life. And so instead of being there and just being with their daughter, they all of a sudden switch it. So all of a sudden the daughter's got to parent their parent. And thus, they feel like they're not being heard or seen or understood. So first and foremost, just listen. Another mistake I see parents make is that they value achievement over character. I talked about this a little bit one time in a podcast. 
Kids whose parents value achievement more than character fare a lot worse than kids whose parents value things like empathy, compassion, resilience, integrity, character kind of things. If you value those things more than accomplishments, kids do better. The excessive pressure to excel and be successful and to outdo everybody else puts kids at risk for higher levels of stress, anxiety, depression, substance abuse. That's been well documented. Let me give you an example of a, of a uh, girl I met. She was in middle school at the time, uh, several years ago. And she, uh, she had a dad who was used to be one of her coaches, but then he had kind of given up because his, his work life got too busy. But he was still her coach, <laughs> quote unquote. And so even though he was in the stands, he was always screaming and yelling. And, uh, and after, after the games, when they were driving home, he was coaching her the whole time, picking out every little thing that she had done wrong. He so wanted her to make her high school team. He had all these visions of her getting a college scholarship for soccer. And when I had him both in my office one time, I, I had his daughter listen to her. And what we discovered was that his zeal for her started when he was in high school. When he was a freshman or a sophomore in high school, he was playing football. He was a good player. And then he broke his back. And he was advised by his physician to never play football again. That was one one ghost in his nursery. That was one story from his past. The other one was that when he had been playing all different kinds of sports in grade school, middle school, and up to that point in high school, his parents never came to his games. Thus, at some subconscious, unconscious level, I think he had probably decided that someday if he had kids and his kids were in sports, by God, he would be there for his kids. He would be there at their games, and he was there, but too much. And he got so wrapped up in his daughter's scoring and being the best on the team and making her a high school team that he wasn't valuing more important things like, was she having fun? Was she making friends on the team? What was she learning about winning and losing? And all the really important lessons you can do with sports because he was valuing achievement more so than character. So take stock and make sure you don't do that. Common mistake number three. Parents don't let their girls solve their own problems. I mentioned a minute ago the importance of listening. If your daughter comes to you with frustrations or things aren't going well, or she's having problems at school with a teacher, with her friends, once you listen and your daughter feels heard and you've been able to empathize with her, excuse me, then you could ask her what she, what she can do about their problem. And then close your mouth and shut up and let her think for herself. Let her come up with her own solutions to her issue, her challenge, her problem. Resilience and things like grit are earned through hard, through working through challenges and being able to, to step back at the end and say, I did it. They will not say that if you're the one who's doing the problem solving. Allow your daughter to problem solve and handle issues with her friends, with teachers, with her siblings, with coaches, so she can gain confidence in her ability to resolve conflicts and ask for what she want, wants and advocate for herself. I saw a girl not that long ago who, who was uh, very disappointed with the amount of playing time she was getting, and she was putting a lot of energy into her sport. So she went and talked to the coach. 
and she asked the coach, what do you need to see from me in order for me to, to earn more playing time? And the coach gave her some things to work on, and she worked on it, and she got better, and she still didn't get more playing time. So she finished out the season. She did, she did the best she could. She encouraged her, her teammates. But then at the, end of, at the end of the year, she quit that team. She was a choice. I think that's a good thing for her. She solved her problem. She decided to move on, and she felt great about it. She felt good about advocating for herself, and even though she did not get the results she wanted, she still felt empowered for speaking up on her own behalf. Another mistake I see parents making who have daughters is telling them how great they are. And let me explain that. A lot of times girls have negative self-talk, and they'll even say it out loud. And they'll say things like, I'm so ugly, or I'm so stupid, or I can't do this, nobody likes me. And I think it's really easy for us to quickly knee-jerk react and say, oh no, honey, you're beautiful, or you're a great person, or you're so smart. And we're trying to reassure them with this barrage of compliments. And what they really need is just to be heard. And then to learn some, some good tools to redirect their own limiting thoughts. And to express their emotions in healthy ways. We try and reassure them with lots of you're so greats. I think a lot of times girls tell me it caused them to feel like their feelings are being dismissed. We spend so much time being a cheerleader and not enough time being a listener. One of my campers this past summer, her name is Talia. She lives out of state. She sent me a couple of books in the mail after camp, which was really sweet of her. And one of them was a book I had never read before. It's called The Rabbit Listened by Corey Dorfeld. It's, it's a good book for this, for this topic I just mentioned. There's this little, little um, boy who builds this beautiful uh, tower of blocks and things, and then some birds fly through the air and knock it down. He's really frustrated, and he doesn't know what to do. He doesn't want to do it all over again. He's really angry. And then everybody tries to tell him what to do. In the story, this, this chicken comes in and she starts clucking and trying to give him lots of advice. And then a bear comes and is kind of angry and is yelling and that doesn't help. Then an elephant comes and a, and a hyena comes to try and make him feel better, an ostrich, a, a kangaroo. But none of it made him feel better until he was sitting alone and then a rabbit hopped into the room quietly, didn't say a word, slowly moved closer and closer until the rabbit was sitting right next to him and kind of snuggling up against him. And they sat in silence until the little boy turned to the rabbit and he said, please stay with me. And the rabbit did, and the rabbit listened as the boy vented and ranted and raved and shouted. Um, and then he got to the point where he was laughing um, and he started throwing the blocks around and still the rabbit sat there and just stayed quiet. And then the boy decided he was going to build the tower again. And it was going to be amazing. And all of a sudden, he got excited and happy again. And the rabbit hadn't said a word. He was just there with his presence. Remember that the next time your, your daughters have problems, if they're upset, sometimes you just need to sit and be with them. Girls tell me all the time, I wish my parents would just sit and listen. Sometimes I just want to sit by them. I want to hug um, I want to sit in their lap, whatever. And I think sometimes we think we need to do way more and you don't. Another mistake, which is similar to the one about the achievement thing, was I think we, we over-focus a lot on externals, external qualities. 
We talk a lot about their appearance, about their beauty. It's an old, it's an old cliche, but I think it's pretty true that when if a little girl walks into the room into like a family party, aunts and uncles and grandparents say, "Oh, you look so pretty! Look how, oh, I love your outfit." Whereas if a little boy walked into the same room, they'd be saying, "Like, look how big you've gotten! Look how strong you are!" So we focus on things like appearance and beauty. We also other things externals like grades. GPAs, being the best, um, being on the on the best club sport, winning trophies, being popular, looking good. I think I've told you this story before in, in uh, one of these podcasts a while back. But there's a, a girl's family that and I, my wife Ann and I, went to their house, and she was a high level gymnast. And her she came home from her gymnastics practice, and and we we were talking to her with the other, with her parents. And we asked her, you know, why she was willing to spend so much time and energy doing her gymnastics. She was going every night of the week from like 3.30 to 8.30, plus Saturdays and sometimes Sundays, plus some odd town tournaments. And she started to tell us why she liked her gymnastics. And her dad interrupted and he said, honey, go show the Jordans your, your hardware. I'll never forget that moment because the girl was like, dad. And her dad was like, go on, honey, go show them your hardware. And this girl's face just dropped. And she's like, okay. And she told us to follow her. We went down the hallway into her room, which was lined wall to wall with trophies and blue ribbons. She's like, this is what he was talking about. This is the hardware. And we stopped. We said, why do you like, this is obviously not what motivates you. Why do you like doing gymnastics? And then she started to light up again. And she started to describe how how in, how great she feels when she's doing uh, the gymnastics in front of a crowd. And she said she loved the, the floor exercise because she would stand there in the corner of the mat, like you see women do in the Olympics, and everybody's eyes were on her and the place would get quiet. And she was so focused and so in the moment and so into flow. And she would do her exercise and then she, would, she was so, so uh, uh, focused. And then when she was done, people would clap. And she said, that's what I like. I like to perform. I like to be in the moment. I like to entertain. That's why she does her gymnastics. That's not an external reason about trophies and winning and being the best. It's about internally how she feels. I think sometimes we don't focus enough on those sorts of things. We're too worried about um, things like how what's what's how is she going to reflect on us? I remember one time when my daughter Kelly was little. I think she was five or six. She wanted to wear her new little purple purple pink uh, windbreaker to school and it was a cold winter day and so uh, Ann said no you need to wear your 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 heavy coat and she said I don't want to wear my heavy coat I want to wear my new windbreaker so there's a little power struggle that was starting to happen and the reason that my wife wanted her to, to not wear the windbreaker wasn't because it was cold that was part of it it was most because how is that going to make me look as your mom if you walk in there and all the other mothers and fathers and the teacher says why are you wearing a windbreaker I can't believe your parents are letting you dress like that she was worried about how she looked not she the daughter but she the mom how's my daughter's behavior going to reflect on me and I see that a lot in my counseling practice with girls who are different Girls who have different interests, girls who dress down, don't dress like the other girls, girls who aren't girly girls. A lot of parents get really frustrated and they get really worried because of how it makes them look. I don't think it makes them look like anything, but they they worry that it does. So again, don't 
over-focus on the externals. And that leads into this other common mistake, which is we focus a lot on how do I motivate my daughter? We ask that question. And parents ask me that question. How can I motivate my daughter? She's not motivated in school. And I always say to them, you're asking the wrong question. Instead of asking, how do I motivate my daughter? You might want to ask instead, how can I help my daughter find her own intrinsic motivation? How can I learn to support her motivation? That's a much better question to ask. Because if our kids are doing things for us to get uh, to avoid punishment, to get a reward, uh, because of a stick and carrot kind of model, they're still looking outside themselves for their motivation, which is not a good long-term solution. They need to learn how to, to find their own reasons, which is why I always ask kids, like I did that girl in that example earlier, the gymnast, ask some questions like, why do you like it? Why do you like playing soccer? What do you like about being in theater? What do you like about singing in the choir? What do you like about uh, being a, on a, a soccer team? Why, why do you want to get the grades you want to get? Why might you want to go to college? If we ask questions about grades and interests and, and the friends that they're hanging out with, and if, if they want to go to college and why, and the activities that they do, we, they, we start to get them to point the arrow inward to say, well, I need to start thinking about what does this mean for me? Why do I like doing these things? And then they'll find their own intrinsic internal motivation. And then you can just support that. It's a huge, very important switch for us as parents. Okay, moving on. We've got a few more common mistakes I see parents making with their daughters. This is one that may be a little bit more subtle, but I don't think we respect them as they're growing up. When they're little girls, grade school, middle school, even high school, we don't respect when she says no. We try and convince them to think like we do and to make choices like we want them to make choices. We try and convince them to agree with us. I think we ignore their boundaries sometimes. We feel like this little kid shouldn't be telling me no. It can be something as simple as, is their dad's uh, wrestling and tickling and they don't want to and they say stop and then we keep going. I've done that before with kids. I've learned in the last five or 10 years especially to when they say no to stop. Sometimes we don't like some of the people they're hanging out with, so we try and push them to spend time with people we like. Sometimes we, we try and get them to spend time with friends that we like, but she's moved on from. And when she says, no, I don't really want to hang out with them, a lot of parents, I find, were saying, well, yeah, but she's a nice girl, and she's got a nice family, and blah, 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 and you've been friends with her since first grade, and they don't know all the context, so we don't respect their no. Another example is I've seen a lot of girls in my counseling practice burned out from their sport. They've been playing for years and putting in this 12 months of a year, quote unquote, job, which is ridiculous. I've talked about that before in these podcasts. And they're burned out. But, but when they asked their parents that they want to do something different, a lot of times their parents try and argue them out of it because they spent so much time and so much energy, and so many weekends, and so much money invested in that sport or that activity. When our daughters say no, when our daughters um, have an opinion, I want us to listen. If they say no, I'm not willing to do my chores, that's not what I'm talking about. So please don't mix all that up in there. This is about places where they could have a choice, they could make a decision, and I want us to learn to respect that because that... Are, that is their first lesson in consent. 
We're worried about our daughter's boundaries being crossed when they get older by boys and later on by men. So boys have a responsibility, obviously. We need to teach boys their own lessons about consent. But I think one of the lessons we can teach girls is that no should mean no, always. No should mean no, no. And we need to start with that lesson in our homes. Another mistake I see parents making with, with their daughters is they don't share their own stories. A lot of parents are, are reluctant to share their own stories. They're worried about, well, if I talk to my daughter and I'm honest, is that going to give them permission to do some things, make some mistakes like I did? And I'm not saying when they're eight that you, t- you should tell them about all your antics when you were in college. You have to use your common sense. But I can tell you this. A lot of girls tell me that their parents, and especially their dads, don't get them because their dads never went through what they're experiencing or they think their dads didn't go through what they're experiencing. When in reality, a lot of times their dads can connect. Like for instance, I remember we, we, we did an exercise at a father-daughter retreat uh, a year ago. We did an exercise called a fishbowl where we had like the, the dads in the middle of this big circle. There were about 30 dads and, and their daughters were sitting on the outside in a circle, like looking in the fishbowl. And then we gave the dads some questions to answer that the girls had made up. It was a list of the previous night. We said, what do you want to ask your dads? What do you want to know about your dad's life experience? And one of the questions was, did you ever feel awkward when you were in middle school? These were middle school girls. And a whole bunch of the dads talked about how they felt socially awkward back when they were 11, 12, 13, 14. And the girls, like their mouths dropped open. Like they didn't, they didn't believe that their dads, because they see their dads now. They're, these dads were very successful business people. They're married. You know, they've got, they got friends. They got their life together. They didn't see their dad when he was 12. And he had acne and he was going through puberty and his voice squeaked. And a lot of times when boys' testosterone starts going up in adolescence, their verbal centers get shut down somewhat. They didn't see their dad then. So they feel like their dad wouldn't understand, but their dad did go through that kind of thing. It may have looked a little different, but the feelings were similar. So I would suggest that you become more vulnerable. Start sharing some of your your stories, especially stories about mistakes, challenges that you had growing up, how you overcame things. So your daughters realize they can understand you. I mean, they realize their dads can understand them and their moms. And they can relate. Two more mistakes that parents commonly make with their daughters. The first is, I think parents oftentimes misinterpret their, their daughter's rising need for independence to mean that they aren't needed anymore. I want you to know that no matter how hard your girls seem to be pushing you away, and they are in some ways, they really do still need you. That's been my experience in working with girls for over 30 years. It's also what research would say. Childhood is is marked by this never-ending dance of kids going away and coming back. Toddlers toddle off when you're at a party. And then a little while later, they come back kind of wimpy, and then they, they, want to, they want you to touch them. They want to sit in your lap. They get their courage back, and then they go back out into the world to explore. They come back periodically for reassurance, and that pattern doesn't stop when they turn 5 or 8 or 12. I think even teenagers do it. And if, if kids have parents who have been there in a warm, supportive way, 
those parents have become a safe base that every kid needs to feel confident to explore their world when they're three, when they're eight, and when they're 18. Now, adolescents do need more space, they need more independence, but they also need you to remain their safe base for guidance, for reassurance, to bounce things off of. It needs to be more uh, under their control in their way and in their time as they get older. But don't, don't interpret their need for independence to mean they don't need you because they do. And that leads me into my final mistake that I find parents making with their daughters. And that is, we're not aware of how distracted we are. I think parents are distracted externally with things like phones, uh, working on the computer. I think especially in the last several years because of COVID, more people have been working from home, which means that, that they're working all day and sometimes into the evening and sometimes into the night. Their, their, their phones are out on the dinner table. Uh, you're outside playing catch with your, with your daughter and then the phone rings and we say, just a minute, honey, and then we walk off for 10 minutes to take business calls. Kids notice that. I also think parents are internally distracted with worries. Worries about their jobs, worries about money. They may have elderly parents who have, have needs. And when kids are around distracted adults, they feel unimportant, not cared about. They may feel rejected and they feel unloved. And kids have told me that over and over and over. So I'm strongly encouraging you to be present when you're with them and you're playing games, when you're at the dinner table, when you're kicking a soccer ball around the backyard, I think you, you should be there at 110%. Not 50% with them and then distracted because you're looking down at phone messages. Leave your phone inside the house. Leave your phone in the car when you're going out to dinner. If you need to make phone calls, if you gotta do work, then do it. But when you're with them, be with them fully. Let me tell you a couple stories about, the, about this topic and then I'll, I'll, I'll end. First one involves a dad um, who I know who told me one time that, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, at, it was Christmas time, his kids were all in college and they started looking at some old home movies and about, you know, birthday parties and Christmas parties, different kinds of things. And the dad was sitting there watching these videos and he was the one who had been holding the camera recording these events. And he said, I had no memory of almost all the things that were on the screen. I was there taking the movies, he said, but I wasn't there mentally. I was building a business. I had so much stuff going on in my head. I was going through lawsuits and I was trying to expand. I was trying to find more employees. I was having problems with my employees. He said, I was everywhere but there. And even though I was there and taking the videos, I wasn't there. I wasn't really focused. I heard about a girl one time who shared a special tradition with her grandma. Her grandma would, uh, they would go over to the grandma's house for Sunday dinner a lot. And as soon as dinner was over, the two of them would sneak off, not just to get out of washing the dishes, but they would go on a long walk, just the two of them. At the start of this little ritual, the two would close their eyes and they'd spin around and whatever direction they would stop, that was the direction in which they started to walk. And it never mattered which direction they headed as long as they were there together. 
The girl said it was our time and it was one of my favorite times of growing up. I'll, I'll end this podcast with a poem. It's called Give Her a Day. What shall you give to one small girl? A glamorous game, a tinsel toy, a Girl Scout knife, a puzzle pack, a train that runs on some curving track, a picture book, a real life pet. No, there's plenty of time for such things yet. Give her a day for her very own. Just one small girl and her dad alone. A walk in the woods, a romp in the park, a fishing trip from dawn to dark. Give her the gift that only you can, the companionship of her old man. Games are outgrown and toys will decay, but she'll never forget if you give her a day. So be fully present. Think about these these 10 ways, these 10 mistakes I think that parents can oftentimes make. They're not huge things, but they are huge things. Um, if, you're, if you're interested in, and you can't remember those, uh, when you go on the website, uh, to get these on my website at www.drtimjordan.com, sorry, then I always have show notes, and there'll be those ten things will be will be written out. So, so you can you can copy that if it helps you to remember. Thanks so much for showing up here every week. I appreciate it. I appreciate you also sending these on to your friends, people you think might be interested. I'll be back here in a week. Thanks so much for stopping by. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply.